Hey, uh, if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and grab it. I am excited. Uh, it's been about five weeks since I've been up here, so you're going to have to help me calm down uh, as we get going this morning. But if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you in a couple ways. If you would uh, bring your Bible every week during this series, I want to encourage you um, in one of two ways. Either bring your Bible and your way of kind of taking some notes as we journey through this book of Philippians together, or for $2 right out here at the Welcome Center, and that just covers the cost of ordering uh, these things. Uh, we're, we have these journals, these journals for the book of Philippians that you can take notes in throughout the entire sermon series. I want to encourage you to stop and grab one of those because I want to circle back to a point that Ryan made at the beginning of the service. One of our core values as a church is biblical authority. And we believe that wholeheartedly. We believe that the Bible should drive our decision-making, the way that we function as a church. It should be the heartbeat of our gathering around uh, our unity as a church. We also believe that that's what we should be equipping you to do in your home, with your family, that the Word of God should prevail in your home as it does in this house, this church family as well. That's why we're switching the curriculum. Uh, that's why we uh, lead the way we do. That's why when you come to New Hope, you're going to hear us preach through books of the Bible primarily. And so we just finished The Life of Elijah. It was a, a wonderful series during... Uh, the summer, we transitioned to Philippians, um, and, and for the next little while. I'm not telling you how long, because it's not short. Uh, and so, we're going to be in the book of Philippians for quite a while. I want to encourage you, grab your Bible, and journey with us as we walk through this. Now, today, if you have your Bible, uh, you can open it to Acts chapter 16. <laughs> uh, because, as we begin Philippians, um, one of the things that's going to help us at, when we get to the actual book of Philippians is the story of Philippi. Uh, which is found in Acts chapter 16. And so we're going to jump in there for the next two weeks, this week and next week, and we're going to set ourselves up really well, understanding what took place in this influential city, to prepare ourselves to understand the letter that Paul would later write back to the Christians that were living in this city. And so Acts chapter 16, this week and next, uh, if you have your Bible, go ahead and get turned there. Now I want to open by asking you this question, and I don't know, maybe you uh, can relate to this, but there have been many times in my life, and, and let me ask you the same thing, where I have questioned, wrestled with, even struggled with what God was up to in regards to my circumstance or where I found my family during a particular season. You ever felt that? That question of, God, what are you doing? Why, why is this the way that it is? Why are these circumstances the way that they are right now in my life? Back in 2006, um, my wife and I got married, and we, we found ourselves serving at a, uh, a church, a, a really wonderful church just outside of Orlando, Florida, um, and we were uh, doing ministry there when I felt very confidently that God wanted, uh, was calling us back uh, to do some further education. You see, I'd been a Christian for four years and felt that um, I needed more education. I needed to train a little bit more. I really felt God was calling me to ministry, ultimately to preach, but at the time felt I just wasn't ready. And so I wanted to go back to school and to get more education. But the hard part was I had to tell these dear people that I loved greatly that we were leaving. And I'll never forget sitting down at a Subway restaurant with the, the lead minister, who's a very close friend of mine, his name's Ross, and explaining to him that we were leaving. It was really hard. He said, I knew this was a serious conversation, Rob, because you bought lunch. <laughs> because I never bought him lunch uh, until I told him I was leaving. So uh, that was hard. What made it even harder was a few days later we announced it to the congregation that we were going to be leaving. 
three days after announcing to the congregation, my wife calls me on the phone crying. I'm like, all right, could this get any more difficult? And she says, come home, I need to talk. I got home three days after resigning. We found out we were pregnant with our first child. No job, no insurance, pregnant and moving. And then, to make matters worse, when we got to Lincoln, Illinois, remember, I'm a Florida boy, city boy. We went to Lincoln, Illinois. Some of you are like, where's Lincoln? I thought the same thing, right? <laughs> Doesn't show up on a typical map. We get to Lincoln, and they experienced the worst ice storm that they had had in, in so many years. And so I remember sitting in our broke-down apartment in married student housing with a pregnant wife, no job, 18 credit hours of graduate work, and barely any savings, thinking to myself in the middle of an ice storm, why do I have to literally take a hammer to my car to be able to get into it, to go to the store? And thinking, God, really wrestling with, is this really what you called us to? Like, I, I thought you made it clear we were supposed to do this. We're sitting here with no money, a child on the way, all this schoolwork in the middle of nowhere. Like, what are you doing? Have you ever had an experience like that? Like, God... You, I thought you were making it clear you wanted us to do this, that you wanted us to go to this place, so you wanted us to be in this circumstance, and it doesn't seem to be working out. And it's painful and it's difficult. Now, I never would have imagined, though, that God was leading us, albeit not the path I would have chosen, ultimately to this place, New Hope. You see, while God was working in our life and around us in a way that I didn't quite understand, he was doing the same thing here at New Hope, and Things were changing here at the church that ultimately would bring us together for a season, now 10 years, of ministry here at this church. You see, this is how God works oftentimes. I learned a very valuable lesson during that season that I've learned over and over again since that time as well, that oftentimes what I see and what God sees, they're not always the same thing. You see, the disciples of Jesus, they experienced a very similar thing in Acts chapter 1 the beginning. Now look, uh, just a, a disclaimer, beginning next year, we're going to spend a very long time, uh, January through undisclosed time, uh, in the book of Acts. And so we're going to be studying that book as a church for quite a while, beginning in January. But for the sake of context, let's understand something here. Do you remember the setting in Acts chapter 1? It's 40 days after the resurrection of Jesus. And the disciples have this feeling that something's coming. Something's coming. Jesus is now going to fulfill everything that he said he was going to do when he returned. And they're getting really, really excited. In Acts chapter 1, they ask him this question, Jesus, are you going to do everything you said you were going to do now? Like, is it time? They're like antsy. They're excited. And Jesus' response is anything but uh, clear to them. Jesus responds, Acts chapter 1, verse 7. Here's what he says. It's not for you to know. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. So you think about that. They're really excited. They're pumped up. And Jesus doesn't say, hey, your question's a bad question. He doesn't say you shouldn't ask that. He simply says that what is going to happen has been determined, and it's not for you to know. You're not to know all. But what you are to know, he continues in verse 8. This is the key verse in the entire book of Acts. This is what he says in chapter 1, verse 8. He says, but even though you don't know circumstances, situations, and timing, you can know this, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And that power has a purpose. And the purpose of the power that will come upon you is that you would be my witnesses, whether you find yourself in Jerusalem, whether you find yourself in Samaria, uh, whether you find yourself anywhere in the world. 
Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, you will be my witnesses. Now, they're sitting here, or we're sitting here today because those words came true. The followers of Jesus, under the power of Jesus, took the word of Jesus to unreached places, ultimately leading us to be able to sit in this room right now and worship him through song and read his word and recite his word. I loved what Ben just led us through in communion. Reciting his word together as brothers and sisters in Christ, taking communion together, is possible today because Acts chapter 1, verse 8 came true. But to them in that day, it was confusing. Unsettling, it was difficult, it left them kind of puzzled. Right when they thought they were about to get everything that they were hoping for, it says, no, you're not to know all the times. You're not going to know why you are finding yourself in a certain place all the time. And there's going to be certain doors that close in your face, and there's going to be other ones that open up that don't quite make sense to you. And you're going to find yourself sitting in an ice storm in Lincoln, Illinois, with a pregnant wife and no job. And you're going to be wondering, why am I here? And you're not going to know the answer to that question. But you can know this, that in that moment, in that moment of confusion and difficulty, you have power be a witness, to be fully present. And then he continues and gets a little bit more intense in, in what happens to them in Acts chapter 1, verse 9. It says this, And when Jesus had said this to them, as the disciples were looking on, suddenly Jesus was lifted up to a cloud, uh, in a cloud, out of their sight. And while the disciples are gazing at the sky, behold, two angels appear, because they're just left like, what did he just say? What's next? What are we supposed to do? They come and they kick him. Like, hey, guys, stop standing here. Why are you just sitting here staring at the sky? Get to work. Now, for a moment, we can read the Bible. We oftentimes do this. I do this. Uh, I'll read the Bible, and I'll think to myself, okay, I'm just going to keep reading the Bible. Don't let it be lost on you, what these men were experiencing in that moment. Utter confusion. He just said, we're not allowed to know what's going to happen next, but he said we have the power to be his witnesses. What? What is supposed to happen next? Like, look, a, a little over a month and a half ago, we thought we lost him for good when he died on that cross. And then three days later, he came back to life. And we've had him for 40 days, and we just thought things were going to get incredible. And now he's gone again. And so Acts chapter 1 is somewhat of an unsettling chapter. All right? It leaves us and the disciples kind of thinking, looking up, puzzled at a sky, thinking, what is next? Like perfect clarity on what we're supposed to do next is not something we get to know in this life. And they're looking up puzzled, like, God, I don't, I don't know what's next. I don't know what I'm supposed to do next, the next step I'm supposed to take, the next decision I'm supposed to make. I don't know what I'm supposed to do next. And Jesus tells them, it doesn't matter where you find yourself in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, anywhere you find yourself, you don't know where your next step's going to be, but you can know this, when you get there, there's a reason you're there. And there's a power that you have access to in that moment where you find yourself, in that circumstance, that situation. Maybe not favorable, maybe not the path you would choose for yourself. But in that moment, you have the power to be my witness if you can be present. You can allow yourself to see as Jesus sees. Be prepared for that. Now, I want you to hold on to that thought. That's a key thought throughout the entire book of Acts, and I would argue through Philippians. We're going to pick up the story Having that context in mind, Acts chapter 16, verse 6, Paul has just recruited young Timothy to join himself and Silas and Dr. Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, on this missionary journey. It's like an extended mission trip. They're going to go from town to town, sharing the gospel with people that have never heard the good news of Jesus. And so they have in mind to do a certain thing. In verse 6, it says this, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So let's pause there for a minute. 
So Paul recruits his team, gathers his resources, prays, feels confidence, and decides we're going to go to this certain region in Asia where people have never heard of Jesus, and we're going to bring the gospel to that place. And Luke tells us, as they set out on this journey, the door closes. After being fully prepared, fully convinced, this is where we're supposed to go, this is what we're supposed to do, this is what I'm called to be a part of, the door closes and God makes it clear you're not allowed to go there. And all the plans that you had to go to that certain region in Asia, that's not where I wanted you to go. And so that door closes and they continue in verse 7. And then they came to Mycenae. They attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So they said, okay, we can't go this way, let's go this way. Another door closed in their face. Have you ever felt this in your life? You ever experienced this idea that I'm supposed to go and do this thing and the door closes and you think, God, okay, I'll just go to this next place then. And then that door closes and then your confidence begins to be questioned and you're, you're, prepared and you're not as prepared as you thought you might have been. And you start to question and wonder and maybe discouragement begins to settle in a little bit. Door after door getting shut. But Paul keeps going. There's something he's got, this power that Jesus referenced. Where Paul said, okay, the door closed, and I need to be a witness here. Okay, that door closed, and I need to just be a witness here. For some reason, Paul had this power to simply be a faithful witness, no matter how many doors closed, no matter how many circumstances came his way, no matter where he found himself, this power to be present and to be a witness was seen in him. So, verse 8, so passing by Mycenae, they went on to Troas. And the vision appeared to Paul in the night. So they like, hey, it's time to rest. Let's go to sleep. Paul gets a vision from the Lord in the night. It's a man from Macedonia was standing there urging them and saying, come to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen this vision immediately, so imagine what his companions are thinking. Paul wakes up in the middle of the night. You ever had a dream like that? Uh, my wife and I are making some certain decisions with, with our lives right now. My wife said on Saturday, she said, uh, I'm looking forward to a day to just sleep in. Well, I had a thought hit me at 4.45 in the morning, Saturday morning, and decided to share it with her at 5 o'clock in the morning. And this is free for coming. Don't do that, all right? <laughs> Immediately, we thought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them there in Macedonia. Now things begin to click. God begins to say, I shut that door and that door because this one is the one I wanted you to go through. I needed you in this place. You couldn't see it. You just needed to trust that it wasn't for you to know the times and the places, but simply to allow the power of the Spirit to make you a present faithful witness. Wherever I lead you, know that you are in that place for a purpose and for a reason. So they appear in, in Macedonia. In verse 11, we learn, So setting sail for Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis. From there to Philippi, our town. He's finally arrived, which is the leading city in the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Now, what I find fascinating about this is you might miss this just in a casual reading. If you're someone who takes notes, uh, this is a pretty interesting point. There's eight different colonies that the Apostle Paul visited on his missionary journeys. This is the only one that Luke decides to describe as a Roman colony. There's something significant about this city, Philippi. The history of this city dates all the way back to Julius Caesar. You remember him? Right? E2 Brute. We, actually, somebody quoted that to me this morning, and I was like, oh, that's coming up in the sermon. Like, cool. 
What a coincidence. You're reading my notes. Um, uh, Julius Caesar, after his assassination, okay? So Brutus and Cassius, the assassination takes place. Well, then Octavian and Mark Antony, they decide we're going to avenge this assassination, and they want to go into battle to claim the, the void that was left with Caesar's assassination of power. Like, we're going to be the ones that are in charge. Now, these two armies face off right next to a little town called, you guess it, Philippi, okay? They have a battle next to this town, Philippi. Ultimately, Octavian and Antony will win the battle, but here's why it's important for us today. In that day, the one place you did not want to live was in the town next to a place where a battle like this took place, and here's why. Because the winning side of that battle would oftentimes come into your town, and there's nothing you could do about it. They would seize your land, seize your property, set up shop, and it would now become their territory. So when this battle's won, Octavian comes in and in a very brutal way establishes ownership of Philippi. They take over the land, they take over the homes, they take over the leading positions in political authority. Now all of a sudden, this town becomes ruled by Roman power, Roman social customs, Roman authority. Everything in Philippi now becomes... Roman, effectively, making it a Roman colony, the leading power in the world. So when Paul shows up with his band of missionaries to this town in, called Philippi in Macedonia, there is a very heavy, thick Roman culture. Now, that's going to play out. You've got to hold on to that because over the next few weeks, you're going to hear why that's significant. But here's what I want you to know today. When he arrives in town, Paul's custom, according to this, was to go to a synagogue. Now, synagogue is a place of worship for Jewish people. He would oftentimes go to the synagogue when he came to a new city, and he would say, everything you understand about God, let me give you the missing key that makes everything make sense, called Jesus. And he would reason with them based on what he knew and what they knew. Now, he comes and he looks for a synagogue in Philippi, but there's no synagogue. In order to have a synagogue, it required that you would have ten God-fearing men in that town. So in a town where Octavian, according to history, settled 3,000 of his retired Roman soldiers in Philippi after that battle. There are not 10 men that fear God. So he gets word that there's a group of women that meet down by this body of water that oftentimes pray, and he decides we're going to go down there, and we're going to go ahead and meet them. And verse 14 tells us, One who heard was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her whole household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And this is where we're going to pause. We're going to pick up Acts chapter 16 next week. But there's a lot that happens right here. We're introduced to Lydia. We're told that she's wealthy. She's a businesswoman of sorts. She's from a town uh, where she would sell this purple good. The purple good, this, this purple linen was used to make garments that were very, very expensive. So she's a, uh, an influencer, if you will, in the fashion industry. And she's made a killing. She's done really, really good at making money selling this purple good. And she's a person of heavy influence. And it tells us, on top of having her own business and running her own establishment, it tells us, that she's a worshiper, a God worshiper. The, the, the right way to say it would be God-fearer. And some would say that's a technical term, meaning that when they're down there by the water, this is a woman who took God very seriously. 
She was seeking to understand who the God of the Bible was. As a matter of fact, some would argue that she had access, could read, and was educated enough to understand the Hebrew Bible. And so she's understanding what you would know as your Old Testament more and more and more. Now Paul arrives on the scene, and Paul comes to her. Remember Paul? I want to go to Asia. Door closed. I want to go here. Door closed. I want to go here. Door closed. Now he finds himself by this body of water in this Roman colony called Philippi with this woman who's a heavy influencer of of culture around her. And he begins to say, what you're reading, do you really know all about it? And faithfully, through the power of the Holy Spirit, in that moment that he would have never picked for himself, he begins to unlock all the keys to the questions she had about that Bible. I want you to picture this for a minute. The text tells us that God opened her heart, not Paul's creative arguments, not Paul's persuasiveness, not Paul's, it was simply God that was working in her life. How was he working in her life? We don't know the details. Maybe all the success had left her wanting something more, like it often does, right? I make all this money, I establish myself, I have influence, I've got control, I've got power, I've got everything I've ever wanted, and it's still leaving me empty. You've heard that story over and over again. Maybe that's her. Maybe she's doing just fine with all of that, but she had heard about this, she began to read, and she's just seeking and wanting to understand more. Whatever was happening, what we do know based on this text is what the Bible would call the providence of God. God providentially had worked all around her and through her life to lead her to this moment where God had also been working in Paul's life. And it wasn't for either of them to know the times or the seasons, but to simply be faithful. In this moment, God had brought this woman and this faithful witness who had the power of the Holy Spirit to be his witness to this moment in this town, this Roman colony without ten God-fearing men, and they meet in that moment. Imagine what Paul's thinking. A few days ago, I didn't know what God was doing, closing all of these doors, and yet here I am. He begins to reason with her. And on that day, Lydia went from seeing or from seeking to seeing. From seeking the God to seeing Him with clarity. C.S. Lewis, in his work, The Reflections on the Psalms, calls this, uh, this idea beautiful, not useful. And he compares it this way. I'm going to add my own part to this analogy. But he says it's kind of like when you hear a pretty incredible piece of music or you see something beautiful. And what do you want to do when, when you experience that? All you want to do is tell somebody about it, right? Anybody seen a good movie lately? This is the summer of movies for kids, Okay. So my kids, we went and saw Aladdin, which Robin Williams was a way better genie. My kids and I are arguing about that, but it was better. he's better than Will Smith at being the genie. But we went and saw Aladdin. We, uh, they went and saw The Lion King. We saw Toy Story 4. I mean, this is the summer of movies for kids. And so then they want to tell their friends about it, and they're so excited. To, you got to see this is my favorite part of that movie. And I've listened to the new uh, Lion King soundtrack, which, again, is a worse version ever than the original. <laughs> a million times, Alexa won't be quiet in my house singing that, right? Because my kids are so excited. They saw this incredible thing and they got to tell everybody about it and you've experienced the same thing. And C.S. Lewis says, this is what it is. This is when we see something great, we want to tell somebody. Why? Because it's beautiful. Because it created this beautiful moment in my life that I just want to tell other people about. See, the more you praise it, the more you enjoy it. It's like the more I tell you about how much I enjoyed that movie, the more I actually enjoy the movie more than I actually did in that moment. I just want to tell you, and the more you praise it, the more you enjoy it. The more you praise it, the more you enjoy it. You say, man, this is incredible. This is an incredible chapter of this book. This is an incredible scene in this movie. I just want you to understand this and see it more, and the more you praise it, the more you enjoy it. But Lewis's question is this. Why is it that you're praising it? 
Why are you praising it to begin with? Is it because that thing needs your praise? No, it doesn't need your praise because it was beautiful before you praised it. It's beautiful in and of itself. It's praising because it's doing something in you. Lydia had a God who up until the moment by the the water was useful to her. This God is useful. He's helping me see things and understand things. But on that day, God became beautiful. See, before her encounter with Paul, she was obeying God because she read that she was supposed to. Now she meets Paul and everything's changed, right? After she's baptized into Christ, does everything change for her? I mean, before she was converted, she wasn't lying. She wasn't cheating. She wasn't committing adultery. After she became a Christian, did she start lying and cheating and committing adultery? No. And you might say that and say, well, nothing changed. She's the same person. But I would argue with you, everything changed that day for her. Because before she became a believer, she was living this moral life because she felt obligated to do it. Afterwards, she's doing it because Jesus is beautiful and he's the key to unlock all meaning in all of history. Now she saw God not as useful, but as beautiful. See, Lydia goes on to be a key part in transforming this godless Roman city, all because God ruined Paul's plans. Paul had plans, God ruined them. And I think oftentimes that's the lesson we need to learn. Many of us hold on to our plans so tightly. Man, I'm going to hold on with a death grip to the plans I have for my life. I want to go here and I'm going to do this and I'm going to love God the whole time I do it that when God shuts a door, sometimes it's so devastating to us. How could this happen? Why am I here? What am I doing? And the whole time, he's wanting to remind us, it's not for you to know the times and seasons and the circumstances, but that in that moment, you have a power that's living inside of you to be a witness in that moment. And who knows that you might not be talking to the next Lydia who would be key in turning Philippi upside down. So I want to encourage you as we close out with a famous line from your Old Testament that I hope that the Holy Spirit would implant on your brain and your heart as you leave this place. That when you leave here, I, I, you know, when we preach, the goal is not for you to walk out of here and say, man, that was a good sermon. The goal is that you will walk out of here and say, man, God is good. And I want to give you a line that for me has been an encouragement as I've studied this, and it comes out of your Old Testament in the story of Esther. Do you remember this? She gets chosen to be the queen. She's married to this king who's somewhat of a doofus. Kind of falls for tricks here and there, and this guy Haman comes in and convinces him to have a plot against the Jews. Well, that's a problem for Esther and her people. And so she is chosen in this moment to stand up to Haman in front of the king and, and, and put an end to this plot to do away with the Jews. And she's scared to death because if you were to step up and, and, and challenge the king in such a way, it couldn't end your life completely. And there's this beautiful scene in this, in this story in the book of Esther where right before she's paralyzed by her fear and doesn't want to step forward and do what she's called to do, she gets this encouraging note from Mordecai. And in Esther chapter 4, Mordecai says these words. Esther, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. I'm confident God will do this with or without you. But you and your families and your father's family will perish. Right now, this will be horrible for everybody. God will ultimately prevail. But right now, I think he's doing something. And he says, and who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for this very moment. See, Esther, you didn't get to choose the time or the season or the circumstance, but you find yourself in this place for such a time as this. 
for this moment right now, whether Philippi is taken over by the Romans or your success in selling purple goods leaves you still wanting or your plans for serving God in a particular place get changed. Friends, wherever you find yourself today, in the midst of heartache and difficulty and despair, frustration, disappointment, one door closed after the other, you can be sure of this, that wherever you land, that you are a witness for Jesus, that where you are is for such a time as this. That God has placed you exactly where he needs you to do exactly what he's called you to do, which is not to know the times and the places, but through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you to be a faithful witness, a present person in this moment for such a time as this. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being good to us. And and God, I want to thank you in a seemingly difficult way. I want to thank you for the hard times. Not because we enjoy them or they're pleasant. They're oftentimes very difficult and heartbreaking. But God, I, I thank you because even then you're working. Even then you see what we can't see and understand what we can't possibly understand. And yet in the middle of our difficulty, you've given us access to a power. A power to be faithful in that moment, to be a witness for how good you have been. Father, help us not miss those opportunities because we are so concerned with our own circumstances. Give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear. Father, help remind us that because of the Holy Spirit, because of your faithfulness, every moment of our life can be for such a time as this. And I pray that blessing in the name of Jesus and all God's people say,